sermons ago, I spoke a prophetic word. I said that New Hope Church can never be the church that God is calling us to be unless we are a giving church. A giving church. I want you to know today that was not a random prophecy. That was a righteous prophecy based on the sure counsel of God's word. Today, I want to add to that prophecy. And today I want to say, not only the church corporately, but we as individual Christians, we can never be what God is calling us to be individually, individual you, individual me. We can never be individually what God is calling us to be individually unless we are giving Christians, not just receiving Christians, but giving Christians. Amen? Amen? Amen. And, and when you really think about it, we have an awesome example. We have an awesome model. It is God himself. Remember, for God so loved the world that he gave. That he gave. That he gave. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but should have everlasting life. I want somebody to know, but Sister T, I want you to know God is not a chinchy giver. That's right. Let me say it again. God is not a chinchy giver. Matter of fact, God is a bountiful giver. When we were at our worst, God gave us heaven's best. And that is the example. That is the example for us today. That's our model. In other words, it's very clear from God's example that the model is we give back to God our best by serving people at their worst. Amen. Let me say that again. That's too important to miss. Uh, the example God gave us is we give back to God our best by serving people at their worst. Remember Jesus? He said, when you do it to the least of them, my brethren, you're doing it unto me. You remember that? Now, every now and then, every now and then, I hear some saints saying stuff like, I'm saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost, fire baptized, and speaking in tongues. Now, that may all be well and good, but if you've got a tongue and not a care for hurting people, your tongue is null and void. Let me say that again. Somebody needs to hear that. If you've got a tongue but not a care for hurting people, then your tongue is null and void. And any other charismatic jargon is null and void if you don't have care for hurting people. Help me, Scripture. 1 Corinthians 13, 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am a tinkling cymbal and a sounding brass. In other words, if I have a tongue and don't have a care, for hurting people, I'm just making noise, Scripture says. I, I, I'm just making noise, but God didn't call us just to make noise. God called us to meet needs. God didn't call us just to be noisemakers. He called us to be need meters, meeting the needs of needy people. And so Pastor Moses shuffles his sermon notes again to tell this 
people of Israel, God's covenant people, how they are to live once they cross over, once they are in the promised land, how they are to treat one another. With your Bibles open, join me at verse 19. Awesome, awesome verse. If you have verse 19 queued up, would you say amen? amen. When, when you are harvesting, you, you, you got it? In your field, and, and you overlook a sheaf, do not, do not go back to get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. Did you see that in the scripture? In other words, let me give it to you plain. Let me give it, give it to you like this. Never be too greedy to be gracious. Let me say it again. Never be too greedy to be gracious. Now, I, I want to start out this message by giving you something just straight because I, I'm going to unpack it, but I shouldn't have to do heavy lifting on this one. Let me just say it straight up. God is good. I didn't think I had to do too much heavy lifting on that. I just got to, I want to kind of take my time, work my way into it, but I'm going to give it to you straight up just like this because you ought to know for yourself, I want to unpack some scripture, but you know for yourself from your experience with God, for what God has done for you, what God keeps on doing for you, what God has, the times that God has looked over your mess, sidestepped your mess, went beyond your mess and helped you anyhow. Nobody in here has dotted every I and crossed every T, but God is a good God. Let me say it again. God is a good God. If I had a mountaintop, I'd get on top of it. God and say God is a good God. God is good. Now let us See from the scripture, you've got your own experience. I, I, I can't tell your story. I only can tell my story, but I know you got a story. You've got your own experience of how God has been good to you. But let's look at what the scripture says about God's goodness. 19. Talking to these Israelites when they will go in the promised land, notice how the text starts off. I always teach, be a glutton for detail. Never let any word pass you by. When you are harvesting in your field. Now, notice something. Let me, let, let me preface it by saying, there's grace in the grammar. Watch it for yourself. There's grace in the grammar. Note that the first text, 19, it starts out with when. When you are harvesting. When is a definite time marker. Yeah. Note that it doesn't say if. Right. If is an indefinite possibility. But when is a definite time marker. Whenever you read the scripture and you see when, your next question should be what? <laughs> because it's a definite time marker letting you know something Definitely is going to happen. Not if. See, if it had started out with if, if is iffy. If is an indefinite 
time, if it's an indefinite possibility, but the Holy Spirit chose to use when. A definite fact. When you are harvesting in your field. I, I, I've already told you God is good. And you, you, you seem to agree with me. But get deep into the text. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Let's have classroom time now. Get into the text. It's definite that you're going to be harvesting. Yes. Not if you harvest, uh -huh. keep in mind, but when you harvest. Mm. Do you know that when this text was written in that culture, in that epoch of time, agriculture was the main source of their income. Sociologists would say it's an agrarian society, which means agriculture was their main means of seeking an income. Now, if you are living in this day and you see the word harvest, that's a good word. Harvest, and you a farmer, harvest is payday. That's like, let me see if this shakes you. I was looking around because I wanted to see you, how you respond to what the, the choice of words that the Holy Ghost chooses to use. This is all inspired by the Holy Spirit. Let me see if I can make it plainer by saying payday. Because for farmers, harvest time is payday. He gives a definite time marker. Not if you have a payday, baby. I, I just want to show from the word that God is a good God. Not, not if you have a payday, but when you have your payday, when you have harvest. Come with me on the passage. I said there's grace in the grammar. In order, see, harvest is ingathering. Right? That, that, that's taking in. That's bringing in. That's like uh, uh, fruits being produced, in gathering uh, income, revenue, if you will. A synonym is thank you, it's payday. But before you can ever have a harvest, you've got to have a field. Now, I just want you to know God is a good God, and I always want you to go behind the words to what the Holy Spirit is really teaching us, because God is a good God. Before you can ever have a harvest, you've got to have a field. You've got to have land. You've got to have property. Is that not right? And when you have a field and land, if you're going to have a harvest, you've got to have some seed. If you've got a field of land and no seed, then that's not going to work for you. You just got some land, but you ain't, you're not going to get a harvest. You've got to have some seed. I just want to point out that God is a good God. And see, if you, if you got, in order to have a harvest, you've got to have a field, you've got to have land, and then you've got to have some seed. But even if you've got land, a field, and some seed, 
Baby, you've got to have some health and strength to be able to plant that seed, to be able to cultivate that seed, be able to plow that seed, be able to dig those furrows. That takes health and strength, or either it takes the revenue to pay somebody else to do it. And either way, God is a good God because God is going to see to it that you have property, that you have field, that you have seed. And watch this. Even if you got property, even if you got land, even if you got seed, even if God gives you the health and strength to cultivate and plant the seed, God got to give you some grace in the weather report because you still got to have rain. You still got to have something. I just want somebody to see God is a good God. Not if you have a harvest, when you have a harvest. And there's a lot that goes into the harvest that only can come from God. You can't make it rain. But God can. You can't make a son. Make a son without an orange coloring crayon and a piece of paper. Make a son. But God made one, and God can make it shine. And see, even if you got the seed and you sow the seed on a land that you own, some people sow, some people plant, but only God can make it grow. Only God can give the increase. Only thing I want you to get to see from agrarian terms, agricultural terms, is God is a good God. <laughs> if you agree with that, would you give him a hand? Would you just give God a hand? God is a good God. It's like through the word, with grace in the grammar, it's like God sending us an email. Now, email we relate to in 21st century. They didn't have email back then, but we got email today. You know when you send email, electronic mail, you can have an attachment, right? And when you add an attachment, wherever you see that e send that email, the attachment goes to. God sent us an email today. It's everlasting mail. It never ends. It's always there. And it has an attachment. The email is God is good. That goes everywhere. That never leaves. It's like email circulation. That God is good is email. It's God's everlasting mail to us, but it got an attachment. An attachment is God provides for his people. That goes with his goodness. He provides for his people. Let me ask another, uh, 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 let me seek another commentary from the congregation. How many of you have experienced the fact that God has provided for you in your life? That whatever you have, matter of fact, I could do a brief non-empirical survey to prove that God is a provider. The fact that you are here today is evidence that God is a provider. How many can see my hand? If you can see my hand, would you give some kind of sign? How many fingers do I got up? How many do I got up now? How many I got up now? God has provided eyesight for you today because God is a provider. The fact that you are inhaling and exhaling is a testimony that God is a provider. Can you hear me today? The fact that you still can hear in your ears, you got to know that everybody that got ears can't hear, and everybody that got eyes can't see. But you told me each time how many fingers I got. God is a provider. He sends everlasting mail, say 
saying God is good with an attachment. I provide for you. Here's the thing. We're in, we're in COVID pandemic. God has allowed it. Nothing can happen without God allowing it. Either God allowed it or God orchestrated it. There's only two options. There can't be any other options. God has at minimum allowed COVID-19 season. But watch this. He allows COVID-19 season, but he gives his people harvest season. And sometimes because of his goodness, even when the world is in COVID-19 season, his people can still have harvest season. Oh, you got to hear that. <laughs> because God makes a distinction between his people and those who are not. That means, in other words, what I'm trying to get across to you is that even during hard times, God will always make a way for his people. Even during pandemic times, God will give his people a harvest season. Even during tough times, God will see to it that his people will be able to have what they need to see them through. God is a good God. If you know that for yourself, would you help me by saying amen today? Would you say amen? He's a good God. He gives, yeah, I hear you, brother. He gives his people harvest season. I put in your, in, in, on your outline an example from the scripture. Psalm chapter 1, verse 3 gives a description of a godly man. He shall be like a tree. Planted by the rivers of water that bring forth its fruit in its season, his leaf or her leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he or she do shall prosper. God is good. Never forget God is good. I like that because in God you can get older and don't wither. I like that. His or her leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever they do shall prosper. If you don't believe that, and you should because it's word, maybe you'll believe another testimony. Psalm 37, 25, or always like to call David to help us. David knew something about suffering in addition to being elevated. David knew something about hard times in addition to being king. David said, I once was young, but now Oh, y'all know the verse. Uh -huh. But now I'm old. If you ain't there yet, keep on, keep on living. But David said something that's very critical. He said, I have never hey. seen the righteous forsaken, nor their seed begging bread. Let me make it real plain how God is, good God is. Not only will God bless your life, God will take care of your children and bless their life. I have never seen the righteous, nor their seed begging bread. Now every parent wants their children to do better than them. That's the, I mean, to me, that's the motto of being a parent. You want your kids to do better than what you've ever done. David said, not only did he provide for me, he came, right? He said, I've never seen their children begging. God is a good God. Would you agree with me again? I just want to see one more time. Would you agree with me again that God is a good God? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, but because he's good, we have a responsibility. So I'm going to give you the next point straight up, and I'm going to unpack it for you. When God moves you forward with what you have, and God is interested in moving you forward, the race is set before us, not behind us. 
But when God moves you forward with what you have, leave some of what you have behind for somebody else. I got it from the text. Look at, look at verses 19 and 22. 19 to 22. You got your Bibles? In verses 19 through 21 of the text, three times God mentions, uses the word leave, leave behind, leave it, let it remain. Never be so greedy that you can't be gracious. Leave it. When you are harvesting in your field, watch it. Ah, oh, come on, come on, come on. Pardon me, excuse me. I'm getting excited and my phone is being indifferent. <laughs> but God is good anyhow. anyhow. You still with me? Amen. You still there? Watch this, three times in three verses, he says, Lee, when you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back to get it. Watch this, leave it for the foreigner. You see that? Amen. For the fatherless, the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. Watch this, 20, verse 20. When you beat the olives from your trees, do not go over the branches a second time. Leave, here it is again. Leave what remains for the foreigner. The father said, 21, when you harvest the grapes in your vineyard, do not go over the vines again. Leave what remains for the fa foreigner, fatherless, and widow. Three verses, three times, he says, leave something. So when God moves you forward with what you have, leave some of what you have behind. People all around are coming up behind us. They're, they're, some of them are needy. Some of them are young. Some of them are middle-aged. Some of them are old. But some of them don't have what you may have. And God says, leave some of it. Don't, don't try to get it all. And when we leave something, what I want you to know is God is able to replenish and replace what you leave behind. God is able to refresh in that. To replace that. One scripture I'm going to ask you to turn to right now. I'm going to, I'm going to ask you to turn to it. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Would you do that? And I don't think I'll ask you to turn to any. I don't think. But if, it, if I do, it's okay because we're here to study the word. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 6. Would you turn there please? Amen. Amen. Ah, when you come to New Hope, you don't just come to listen to a preacher. You come to get into your word. You kind of get into your word. Because it's the word, not the preacher. That you need to hear. If you have 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6, I want to point out from scripture that whatever you leave behind, whenever you give to other people, God is more than capable of replenishing that because he wants you to keep on giving and he will replenish your store of seed so that you'll have more to give. Amen. You see, if you never get, if you, you know, the old saying goes, a closed fifth don't give anything, but it can't receive anything either because it's closed. For 
Chapter 9, verse 6. If you have it, would you say amen? amen? But this I say, he who sows, that's planting sparingly, sparingly, will also reap sparingly. He who sows, that's planting bountifully, will also reap bountifully. If you see that, would you say amen? amen. Drop down to verse 8. And God is able, somebody say God is able, God is able. to make all grace abound towards you that you always having all sufficiency in all things. Somebody say in all things. In all things. May have an abundance for every good work. The more you give, it's true, the more you give, the more God will give back to you because it's God's desire that you give and bless other people. So he's going to make sure you have so you can give and bless other people. That's what the text is basically saying. Look at verse uh, 9. As it is written, he has dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Verse 10a, never forget this. He uh, may he who supplies seed to the Sower. oh to the who Sower. whoa I said be a glutton for detail right never let any word passes you by the Bible reveals that God supplies seed to a target group would you say that target group again he who supplies seed to the who Sower. the sower so According to scripture, if you ain't sowing, you get no supply. Because according to the word, he supplies seed to who? Oh, bless God's name. Bless God's name. We got to know truth. And then we got to live by the truth, right? So, so the, the prophetic word I gave several sermons ago is based not on random prophecy, it's based on righteous prophecy, based on the overall counsel of God's word. We will never be the church God is calling us to be. Neither will you and I be individual Christians God is calling us to be unless we are giving Christians. There's people who work and make a lot of money and don't have anything hardly to show for it. Because you make good money don't necessarily mean you'll be productive in life. Because the word of God says, I can give you money to put in pockets with holes in it. You know what that means? You can make all kind of money and have nothing to show for it. Some of you, including myself, May have some examples of that. Because it's not how much you make, it's the God that you serve whose grace is operating in your life because you're living in accordance with his will. That's how you get blessed. First of all, your job is not your source. Amen. Let me say that again. Amen. Your job is not your source. God is. Now, he uses his job as a means, but that's not your source. God is. You can lose that job tomorrow, baby. A whole bunch of people. You can lose your, your paycheck tomorrow, but you ain't going to never lose Jesus if you say it. He says, I'm with you always. I'm not going anywhere. And I got it all. The cattle on a thousand hills belong to me. And I'm not going anywhere. Thank you, Jesus. Now, before I close, I want you to take a note of three groups.
that the Holy Spirit chooses the site in this text as those who may be marginalized, those who may be uh, uh, kicked to the curb, if you will. Uh, remember, remember, uh, society, big business, big corporations, the top 1% have a hand that pushes other people to the margins of society, to the margins of the community. The top 1%, if you will, the wealthy, sometimes have invisible hands and sometimes visible hands that push other people to the outskirts and the margins of society. And in the text, I want you to queue up again, have the text before you, and I want you to notice in three verses, there are three categories of people that the Holy Ghost chooses to cite. To, to cite. Leave something behind for verse 19, the foreigner for the fatherless and for the widow. Three categories that the Holy Spirit, who's the author of scripture, chooses to cite. It's cultural and time bound to some degree because in this culture, it was a very male oriented, very male dominated culture. And women essentially, it, they needed to get married because they needed a husband to provide for them. Essentially, women didn't work. They stayed at home and they, 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 they took care of the home and the children and the husbands provided the means of, of sustenance for the entire family. Women did glean in the fields, which gleaning means you went in the fields and whatever stuff was left behind, you picked it up, and that's what they're talking about right, right here. So in this culture, in this society, women were very dependent, if you will, on having a husband. And to some degree, it, 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 it applies somewhat today, but it's shifted because, you know, women today, you know, have jobs. Women today sometimes make more money than their husbands do. So in some sense, it has shifted, but still, notice what he says, I want you to be careful that you leave some of what you got behind. Don't be too greedy to be gracious for the foreigner. The foreigner is like, it's three things about the foreigner. They're strangers, right? They're immigrants. Foreigners can be immigrants. I know that's a hot button political term. But God says, embrace the foreigner. That's what he says in this text. Leave something here, leave something behind for the stranger, the foreigner, the immigrant. Some politicians say, no, build walls and keep them out. God says, no, don't just let them in, provide for them. Be merciful to them. Leave something for the stranger, the foreigner, the immigrant. Foreigner can also be unbelievers. Strangers can be also be unbelievers, not part of the covenant community. So do we say, oh, you know what I mean? They're, they're, do we play the old, my gang, our gang mentality? They're not part of our gang, so leave them alone, let them starve. Uh-uh. Because if that was the case, all of us would be starved. Amen. Because none of us was born saved. Right. Amen. He, he cites the fatherless. Be sensitive to the fatherless. 
The strange are the fatherless. The fatherless in our society are orphans. Orphans are those whose parents are gone. It could be war. It could be famine. It could be devastation around the world. They have no parents. They're dependent. They're needy. Anybody remember Mother Teresa? She ministered to the orphans. Ravaged, war ravaged countries. Parents did. How are they going to take care of themselves? Children can't get jobs. But they need somebody to take care of them. God calls his people to church. The fatherless today. I'm going to be real with you. The absentee father syndrome plagues society today. Let me say it again. The absentee father syndrome in some families plagues society today. Isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting that 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 God mentions children who don't have a father as being at risk for needing help, according to the scripture. The foreigners, but the next is the fatherless, right? So we have orphans, but then we have a society of, 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 of some men making babies, but not taking care of them. And let me tell somebody, because you're a sperm donor, don't make you a biblical father. That might not be popular, but I don't care about popularity. I care about teaching the truth of the living God. There are some children at risk because God has ordained that if you're going to make a baby, first of all, you ought to be married. Oh, pastor, why you go there? Because the Bible goes there. And again, I'm not trying to be popular. If you're making babies and you ain't married, that's sinful. It's called fornication, fornication and adultery. Fornication is sex before marriage. Adultery is sex in marriage. Either way, they're both sin. I'm not perfect, and neither is anybody else, but you know what? The fact of the matter is, is because you can make a baby does not make you a biblical father. If you want to make one, you should take care of it. The absentee father syndrome places some children, not all, but some at a higher risk for poverty. Not all, but some. And then the third category is widows. A mother who has lost her husband without a helping hand from her husband. My God, to me, parent, parenting is enough when you got two, when you got four hands and four feet, and two people. When you just got one parent, it's, 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 it's even more challenging. Widows are left to raise children, but they need help according to scripture, and he calls the church to reach out and help. 
widowed, but today we would also call it single-female-headed households. Single-female-headed households. Not all, but some are at higher risk for poverty or financial challenges. It's hard enough sometimes when there's two parents. When there's one, it's even more difficult. If you're a single parent and you're doing good, you ought to give God thanks. If you are married and doing good, you ought to give God thanks. Y'all still with me? One last point. This comes from the last verse. Look at the last verse with me. Verse 22. He leaves them with this. I'm telling you to leave behind something for the, for, for the foreigners, the fatherless, and the widows for a very specific reason. It culminates in verse 22. Don't miss this. It's the last point. Remember, you were once slaves in Egypt. That is why. I'm commanding you to be gracious to other people that can be marginalized, to other people that can be pushed to the margins of society, for other people who sometimes society looks down on, looks around, passes over, doesn't help, point fingers at, talk about, but God says, don't you do any of that, you help them! Help them! Because the fact of the matter is, Somebody can and might be talking about you. Well, all the perfect people, please stand. Well then, that means God found all of us in the same place. Condemnation. When he found us, right? You were headed and I was headed for endless hell when God found us. But thanks be to God for some Jesus. I say thanks be to God for some Jesus. Final point to take with you. Never, ever forget. Now, I know God is good. And I know God knows how to bless you. Got that. I know, I know God knows how to elevate you. Got that. I know God knows how to set you on high. But never, ever forget where God has brought you from. Did you hear that? Never, I don't care how far God takes you, I don't care how high God elevates you, never ever forget where God has brought you from. The reason why I'm telling you to help the fatherless, to help the widow, the reason why I'm telling you to help the immigrant and the stranger is if anybody ought to know where hard times are, you ought to know because you were slaves. When you were in Egypt, you did some harvesting, but it wasn't your field. It wasn't for you. It was for the enemy, which brings to my mind some of us in here worked hard for the enemy. Some of us in here before God saved us, we worked overtime for the enemy, just like Israel did for Pharaoh. When you planted in Egypt, you did it for the enemy. When you harvested in Egypt, you did it for the enemy. When you plowed the fields and when you got down on your knees, you worked for the enemy. But baby, before you got saved, some of us worked, including me, worked hard for the enemy. But thanks be to God that God washed us, God justified us, God sanctified us in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Don't you ever forget 
Don't you ever let it leave your mind that if it had not been for the goodness of the Lord, you would be in a gutter someplace. You would be on your face somewhere. You would be laying in your own vomit somewhere. You would be like a needle in your arm. You would be overdosed. If it had not been for the goodness of Jesus, I know you got it together now. I know you went to church now. I know you praising God now. But baby, you weren't born saved. You were born like all of us. Jacked, whacked, condemned, headed for wrath in the judgment of God. If it hadn't been for the goodness of Jesus, all of us would be in an endless hell. That gives us more reason to give God some honor. That gives us more reason to give God some thanks. That gives us more reason to give God some praise because God found you, washed you, sanctified you, placed you in his kingdom, and now using you to his glory. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. This is why I tell you to do it because you were slaves. You ought to know what it's like. Yes, I do. You ought to know how it feels when somebody's hurting. You know what I found out? When you know what it's like to be out there, you don't have to ask somebody if they need something. When you see somebody naked, and when you see somebody starving, wait a minute, do, do you need something to eat? You see they need something to eat. Don't you, give them. Don't ask them, give them. Somebody naked, give them a shirt. Go to your cupboard and give them a, a jacket. It's winter. They shouldn't be out there with no coat on. This is why I have called you. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to the living God. Would you join me on your feet? Father, in the name.